0: You're, You're listening, listening to a sermon from Lakeview Pastor, Baptist Brian Chayne. Chayne. We, would we would love to love have, you have you worship have God you worship with us this, this Sunday, Sunday at 10.45 10, in the morning and at 6 o'clock in, o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn, Auburn and, throughout and throughout the world. Well, good evening. You would turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at verse 28 to the end of the chapter. A lot of this is just a narrative that we can read uh, pretty quickly as we draw out the important and crucial points of this passage and we will look at the the central applications of this passage at the end of the message. Let's pray and ask the Lord to continue to bless our time together. Lord, thank you uh, that you've already preached to us through the rain. The prophet Isaiah said, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven And does not return there, but makes the earth spring forth in bud. So shall your word go forth from your mouth. Uh, It shall prosper in the thing for which you send it. It gives bread to the eater and seed to the sower. And we're asking, Lord, tonight that you would give us both bread and seed. And we pray, Lord, that you would be honored in this time. as As we hear the word preached, give us grace, Lord, to to pay attention and to center in on what you have for us in this inspired text. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. CNN published an article on Friday about a lady named Christina who met a stranger on a flight from Florence, Italy to London and they really hit it off and they decided that the next day they would meet at a square in London and, and, and have a lunch date. Well, Christina went to the square where they uh, planned to meet. They, did not, they had not swapped any kind of info. This was before cell phones and he didn't show up but as she was sitting there waiting on him, she noticed another fellow uh, that she found uh, intriguing and he was reading a book called Romeo and Juliet. It must be a new book. I'm not, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, and he had on, get this, a Walkman. So that was the good old days. And so he had on a Walkman and she decided to approach him. And as he, she approached him, uh, he smiled, he took off the Walkman and she said, hi. And he said, hi. Not a great way to begin a conversation, but, Long story short, this couple has been married now since 1993, 31 years, and they have three children and they live a happy life in Italy. When they were asked what was behind their meeting, um, here's what they said. It was God's wise and meticulous providence. Nope. That's not what they said. (laughs) They said it was purely random. It was one random meeting spurred on by another random meeting. It was a mixture of faith, or fate rather, F-A-T-E, fate, and us working to stay in touch with each other. Well, one of the purposes of scripture is to teach us to view the world in all circumstances in the world through the lens of God's good and wise and meticulous providence. We certainly see that in our present chapter, but with one difference. Here's one difference about this chapter that's unique. Uh, The providence we see here is for the hope of the world. This marriage is for the hope of the world. Now last week we saw the servant's prayer, of faith in the promise of the Lord Yahweh. Today, as we start verse 28, we see the servant's answered prayer. Of course, last week we, we see that he has d- identified Rebekah. He was praying, and verse f- 15 says, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah. And and so he has identified her but here we see in this part of the passage that indeed Rebekah is the one that he has prayed for. Look with me in verse 28. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Now Laban is going to come up again. Uh, He's not a likable fellow, let's just say that. Uh, he, he is the one who would deceive Isaac's son Jacob when he came seeking the hand of his daughter uh, Rachel. This is that Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say, and he said, speak on. Now, verses 34 to 49 is essentially a review of what we saw last week, but since some of you probably were not here last week, and for those of you who were, uh, we need a review. So let's read this, verse 34, so he said, I am Abraham's servant, the Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. Again, we remember here, this has nothing to do with interracial. Uh, concerns, but it does remind us how crucial it is that if you are a believer, you marry in the faith. If you marry outside the faith, you will experience unnecessary struggle, and I would even go so far, a foretaste of hell in your marriage. This, This is reminding us of how crucial being married to someone who believes like you do is. There's no missionary marriage in the Bible or at least it's not sanctioned. You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife from my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife from my son, from my clan and from my father's house Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. He's telling him just to trust the Lord in this. Don't manipulate the circumstances. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water To whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. He believed in divine sovereignty even over marriage. It's important for all of us to understand, especially for those who have not yet been married. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Naor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way, or that your, maybe your translation says faithfully, to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. One commentator writes, he, he trusted God. If this was really God's will, Rebekah's family would give their consent. So he's not in any way trying to manipulate the situation. Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you, take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's her, a servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there when they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Now, but despite their, the servant's generosity here, um, they're kind of going to backtrack the next morning. Verse 55, her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. This kind of haggling we will see later in Jacob's account with Rachel. But he said to them, Do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Such a postponement could have been costly, especially when you consider Laban's lack of integrity, which we don't know yet, but we know later in the Genesis narrative. He he lacks integrity. But the, the servant here is steadfast, he's acting wisely. Now this delay though, provides Rebecca to give one of the great declarations of faith. Verse 56, but he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered our ways. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And this is one word in Hebrew, elek. She said, I will go. I will go. Gordon Winnom, commentator, writes, Rebecca's willingness to leave her land and kindred shows that she is, as it were, a female Abraham. She is going into the land uh, based on her faith in the promise. And that brings us to the next part of this passage. We see the answer to the servant's prayer and now we're going to see the answer to Isaac's prayer so they went away Rebekah their sister and her nurse and Re- Abraham's servant and his men and they blessed Rebekah and said to her our sister may you become thousands of 10,000s by the way that is a that is language from Genesis 128 be fruitful and multiply And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Again, this is the language that we saw back in chapter 22. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. The offspring will defeat his enemies who are Yahweh's enemies. Then Rebecca and her young women arose... And rode on the camels and followed the man. Now, remember, this is a 1,000-mile journey on camels. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now, Isaac had returned from Beer-Laha-Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. Now, you remember this place? This is where Hagar went when he when she named God the God who sees in my need. I love that name, the God who sees me in my need. And, and it's almost like this is what's being communicated. Isaac has lost his mother. He is grieving the loss of his mother and he is here at Beer Lahai Roy. And verse 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field this would be not like a mystic where he's clearing his mind of everything. This would have been a man who is a man of faith. We've already seen that he's a man of faith, meditating on the word of God. He would have been praying. He would have been praying and the context would appear that he's actually praying not only for comfort as he grieves his mother, but praying for wife. And he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold, and I love it when the uh, the word gives us that word. Behold, good things happen after behold. There were camels coming, and Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, and said to the servant, "Who is that man walking in the field to meet us?" The servant said, "It is my master." She took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That's Genesis 24. Now, incidentally, this is a book of first, As I have said, this is the first the first reference to marital love in the Bible, right here uh, in Genesis 24. But this isn't just any marriage. Remember that. It's certainly a marriage, but remember this. If God does not answer the prayer of the servant, if he doesn't answer the prayer of Isaac, we are without hope and without God in this world. So this was a marriage, but this was also a unique, one-of-a-kind marriage. This was a marriage that would reproduce, would produce the Messiah in time. But as crucial as this text is to redemptive history, now let me give you a definition of redemptive history. The, The unfolding of events in space and time that lead to Jesus. That's, that's what redemptive history is. The unfolding of events in space and time that ultimately lead to Jesus. That's, that's what we mean when we talk about redemptive history in the Old Testament. This is redemptive history unfolding. But as important as redemptive history is in this narrative Let's not lose sight of the micro story even as we consider the macro story. The macro story being the the story in the air that takes us from the hope, Genesis 3.15, to to the Savior. But there's also a micro story here that we need to consider. And here we see God's relationship, God's relating to His people. He cares about his people. Uh, Del Ralph Davis says it this way, Isaac is not a mere cog in God's plan for the world, but he is a hurting person for whom God cares. He gave Isaac someone to love, a wife, Rebecca, and someone to love him back. That's a good word. And Isaac wasn't out looking for her, he was out meditating. He was about the things of God and God interrupted his life. Houses and riches are inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. We don't have to manipulate our circumstances. Be God's man or God's woman. And you will be at the right place for that providential encounter. I'm currently reading the Psalms in the New Living Translation. It's not a word-for-word translation, but it's a, it's a faithful translation. And I love, yesterday I read Psalm 37. And Psalm 37, verse 23, uniquely um, really caught my attention. And here's what it says. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Isn't that beautiful? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Some translations read, but I love that second part. He delights in every detail of their lives. And let me just say this. If you're single and you long to be married, God loves you more than you even understand And He loves marriage more than you love marriage. That's why an entire chapter of of Genesis is devoted to marriage. Marriage being a unique shadow and picture of the relationship that Christ, the ultimate bridegroom, would have with His bride, the church. But again, He delights in every detail of their lives. That is your God. He delights in every detail of your life. And certainly marriage would be a massive part of your life if He has called you to be married. Well, that brings us to the application of this chapter. And the first thing I want us to reiterate is that God's providence is meticulous. We're not going to leave that as we proceed in Genesis. We're going to see it again with, with Joseph, remarkable section of Genesis that really preaches the meticulous providence of God. But this is a partial fulfillment of the promise that Abraham gave to his son, Isaac, when he said, God will provide himself the lamb. Isaac may not have understood fully that that would have included him having a wife. Because the lamb would come from the union between Isaac and Rebekah. And that is a word for us all. We're not gonna have marriages like that. Our marriages won't be that significant. But we do not have to fret. We do not have to settle. We do not have to manipulate. Again, just be God's man. I used to tell guys that I taught at Boyce, if you want a Proverbs 31 lady, you better be a Proverbs 1 to 30 man. Just be that man. And God will provide the Proverbs 31 lady and vice versa. Ladies, if you want a Proverbs 1 to 30 man, be a Proverbs 31 woman. And as Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's what we tend to do. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I wish that couple knew that who met on the plane or met at the square in London. Second. Believe it or not, this text teaches us that God is omnipresent. Now, why do I say that? Well, the first evidence in the Bible that God is omnipresent, that is, he is everywhere. And by the way, when he is where he is, he's all that he is for us, for his people. But the first really indication that God is everywhere is implied because God told Abraham, go into the land, I will show you. Now, now why does that imply the, the omnipresence of God? Well, he was living in Ur and in the ancient near East, the gods were considered, of course, we know these aren't true gods, but in that world of polytheism, the gods were considered local deities. That is, they only were sovereign over their sphere, over a particular kind of territory. And outside of that territory, they had no control. And so no pagan god would have suggested to its worshiper that he or she should get up and go somewhere else. And even if he did, most people would have hesitated to do that out of fear that these gods could not protect them if they left that God's sphere of of sovereignty. Now, if they did go somewhere else, they would likely seek out some local deity to at least replace the deity they left behind. That just shows you how they consider all of these gods as being equivalent but none supreme. Now, an example of this can be found in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings 5, 1 to 19. You remember the story of Naaman, uh, Naaman the the, um, the Syrian general. He, he gets leprosy, and he hears about this prophet named Elisha, and he hears that uh, Elisha could heal him. Of course, we know it's God who heals, but that's the way he perceived it. This, this prophet could heal him, and so he, he gets a... Uh, he gets a platform, a hearing with Elisha, and Elisha tells him to go bathe in the Jordan, and and that really offended him because, uh, you know, he felt like that that would uh, undermine or be demeaning to the, the river gods back in Syria. But he decided to do what Elisha told him to do. He bathed in the Jordan, and he was healed of leprosy. And so, after being healed, from leprosy by Yahweh or Elisha's God, Yahweh, he wants to worship Yahweh. But here's the problem. He thinks Yahweh is a territorial God. He doesn't believe he can worship Yahweh in Syria because Yahweh is the God of Canaan. And so here's what he does. He, 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 he's gonna get dirt from Israel and take it back to Syria so he could build an altar To Yahweh, because he believed at least if he had the a part, a parcel, the earth that Yahweh was in control of, then actually God Yahweh may be able to to, uh, be worthy of worship in Syria. What was his problem? He didn't understand or recognize that Yahweh is omnipresent. Um, Here Abraham has sent his servant to Mesopotamia because Abraham knows something that these false worshipers don't understand. Yahweh is not a territorial God. He is Lord of the world. He is sovereign over the world. And he knew that even outside of their land, that God was good, God was wise and God was sovereign. That's the second application point. God is everywhere and and because He's everywhere, He is at all times with you and He is all that He is as God for His people. Trust in Him. Third, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Of course, I get that language from James. Have you noted that Two times in Genesis 24, as God's people were praying, God answered their prayer even as they were praying. We saw it in verse 15. It says, Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, appeared. So he's praying to the Lord, and God gives him an answer to his prayer. And here at the end of Genesis 24, Isaac is meditating, which is just a a term that speaks about reflecting on the promises of God and being in dutiful prayer. And even as he's praying, God answers his prayer. Now this has happened to me. It's only happened to me once, but I believe God allowed this to happen to me early on in my walk as a training wheels kind of thing to teach me that God answers our prayers. In 1992, I was was in conversation with a company that was interested in me, and my grandmother called me up and said, listen, I need you to go to Mobile with me. Uh, My first cousin, Luke, who was one, was sick, and his Mother was a federal marshal, and so Memo, my grandmother needed to go take care of him, so she asked me to go with him. And I said, well, Memo, here's the problem. Uh, this company is supposed to call me, this guy named Victor Altamirano is supposed to call me uh, for further interviews with this company. This was before cell phone, and I said, if, if I'm not here, I'll miss the call. I said, I'll give him till Wednesday. Well, I never heard from him, so I went to Mobile. So, as we always did, I'm on, the, uh, I'm on the, my knees with my grandmother praying, and we are praying about this job. And as we are praying, the phone rang. And it was uh, one of those answering machines you could hear, and it was my dad. And my dad said, Brian, you need to call me. You just got a call at home from Victor Altamirano, and he wants you to call him. We finished praying, and I took the number my dad gave me, and here's what the voice on the recording said. You do not need to dial a one for this number. It was a local call. I'm in Mobile. So I called the local number, and it was Victor Altamirano. He said, hey, man, I know this is the last minute, but could you come to Mobile tomorrow? I said, uh, well, I'm already here. He said, whoa. He said, you didn't have to bring a coat and tie, did you? I said, yeah, I'm going to church Sunday. And and so I was able to go to church. and I was able to go to that, uh, that interview and got the job. But all of that transpired as I was praying. It hasn't happened since. But I do believe God used that as a kind of training wheels as a new believer. I've been a Christian for a year at the time. To drive home to me that... God hears our prayers. He honors our prayers. Now, sometimes our prayers may not be answered until after we die. Are you good with that? I told you about my grandmother last week, praying for my spouse and my ministry. I received both within three days after we bury her. We actually have an instance of that, at least one, in the scriptures. Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7? It says, and they were stoning Stephen. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He is asking, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And Saul approved of his execution. And the rest is history because this Saul would go on to be gloriously converted and write 13 letters of the New Testament. And I do believe that Luke, who writes Acts, is intending to show us that Stephen prayed this man into the kingdom. But it would only be after Stephen had died. But given what God has promised about prayer, Sometimes we have to persist. Sometimes we're not ready for the answer, so we have to persist and persevere for years upon years. But given what God has said about prayer, it's so sad to see that the drive that many Christians have, including myself, for doing things that are not of much eternal significance, it's saddening to see that. They may not be wrong in themselves, these things, but prioritizing them is clearly misplaced, especially if they keep us from personal and corporate prayer. One of the issues we see today is the phone, social media. Do we spend more time on social media than we do with God? John Piper uh, said, uh, Nate gave me this quote. He said, one of the purposes of social media is to, in the day of judgment, God will be able to show us that Time was not an issue because we had enough time spent on social media. Psalm 57, verse 2 I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. Is that our prayer life? Could our prayer life be described that way? William Temple, I think this may be an overstatement, but I still like what he says. When I pray, coincidences happen. course, we know there are no coincidences. He's being tongue in cheek. When I cease to pray, coincidences cease. An overstatement, but point well taken. When we pray, great things happen. Fourth, this is our final point tonight. Ultimately, this chapter is about Jesus Christ. Isaac... And Rebecca's marriage is about Jesus. It's about their far-off grandson. Yes, it's a picture of the glory of marriage and how much premium God places on marriage. But this marriage is unique. It will produce the Savior of the world. As well, I think Isaac here points us... um, to the bridegroom who will be the savior. And with that, we see Rebecca's response in 58. Verse 58 here is really a paradigm of what conversion looks like. Again, look in verse 58. They called Rebecca and said to him, to said to her, will you go with this man? I will go. That is really a paradigm of the proper answer to the gospel call. This would involve a separation from her former life and an embrace by faith of many uncertainties that would come in embracing her new bridegroom. The one that she knew ultimately was the hope of the world. That's why Genesis 24 is important to believers and to unbelievers. As Josh and the musicians come forward, we we're reminded of that. For believers, we see the glory of marriage. We see the glory of the gospel. We see the glory of God's wise and meticulous providence. Learning how to trust him. How do we learn how to trust him in his providence? By reading the Bible and seeing that he's worthy of our trust. But for those of us here that perhaps have not yet bent the knee to the one that would be produced through this marriage, the Lord Jesus Christ, we wanna give you an opportunity to do that tonight. Um, The Bible is pointing us to our need for a savior. He is the savior of the world and outside of his salvation We will be in our sins and under the judgment of God. So we're going to have our pastors here as we stand and sing. Won't you respond to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.